Okay, this morning our reading is from Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1 and going through to verse 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want you to think, I want you to get a picture in your head the good life, okay? I want you to visualise that. Okay, okay, don't get carried away. Don't get carried away. The good life is also when the preacher manages to start his stopwatch so he, uh, he obeys the, the presets of time. I heard of uh, the, uh, the mid-year conference that recently happened where the preacher almost hit two hours, so you guys have nothing to complain about. Can I say? Nothing. Nothing. Two hours. Evening session. Wow. What's the good, good life when the preacher sits down before one hour and 45 minutes is up? What else? What else? What did you have? What's the good life look like to you? It involves a caravan. It's actually similar to me. This is, this is recently top of Brinkley Bluff in the Northern Territory. As you can see, surrounded by the crowds. Not at all. Unimpeded views. Spent the whole day there. Nothing to do. Magnificent. Is that my shoe? Yeah. That's my shoe. Shoes are off. My special hiking chair that my family scorned because I carried it there. That's the good life. What's it look like to you? Rest. Yeah. In our busyness, just actually sometimes even having a couple of minutes to sit down. Yeah? Snow skiing. skiing. Okay. Okay. I used to think of heaven as like an internally unfolding ski slope. You never had to catch a lift up because it always used to just go in front of you. Yeah? Yeah? Anyone else? The garden. garden. You're welcome to come to mine and, and find the weeds and pull them out too. But yes, okay. There's lots of different views. Can I say... The quest for the good life is nothing new. Back in Jesus' day, his contemporaries in the first century in Palestine, they had a picture of the good life and it didn't look like anything that we've just mentioned. What it looked like was military domination of the world. Does that sound attractive to you? Okay, for the first century, century faithful Jew, they were waiting for God's king, the Messiah, to come and to establish his rule on earth where Israel would rule the globe from Jerusalem. 
So Jesus, as God's king, as that Messiah, had a very, very particular task to do. And one of the things was to actually say, what you're looking for is actually not what I'm going to bring. What you think of as the good life is actually not the blessing and the good life that I'm going to bring. And the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to spend, not just today, but a term looking at, the Sermon on the Mount explores that whole question of the good life, of how it's found, of what it actually looks like. And we're going to start this morning uh, with the Beatitudes. Beatitudes is not a biblical word. It's a, uh, a word that churches took from the Latin word that means blessing. And that's where we get Beatitudes. It's these pithy little state statements at the front uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. Some of the more famous verses from one of the most famous, famous passages in the entire Scripture. You may never have even opened the Bible, but you've heard some of the Sermon on the Mount. Turn the other cheek. Jesus said it. Love your name. Do, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How many times did your mother or your father say that to you? Me? Almost every day, probably, as my brother and I were going at each other. Do unto others. Okay. Okay. You've heard it. And we're going to start today unpacking what Jesus tells us about what the good life looks like and how to get it. We're going to do, it, we're going to do a little bit of an intro into the sermon, and then we're going to unpack the character of the kingdom, what it looks like, and then we're going to draw some challenges and some comforts from it at the end. So you've got that intro, characteristics, comfort challenges, three things, classic Trinity sermon. Trinity, three points, you get that? It's a joke. Anyway, anyway, I've got a quiz for you, first of all. See this verse. This is the first of the Beatitudes. I want everyone to think how you pronounce that first word. <laughs> okay, some of you, I guarantee, want to say, blessed. I ask you, do you ever say blessed in any other context? You don't, do you? You don't. So, kill it. It, it is not blessed, it's blessed. Okay? I used to work with a man, and, and you'd talk to Vic, and he's a lovely guy. And uh, you'd have a conversation about the Holy Spirit, and you'd be talking about the Holy Spirit and holiness, and he'd get up the front of church, and all of a sudden it'd be the Holy Spirit. You get Christians in the Sermon on the Mount, and all of a sudden it becomes blessed. We need to learn to speak English. It's blessed. Well done, Debbie. Thumbs up. Okay. <laughs> Jesus gives us all these statements about blessing. What is blessing? Blessing is where, where we are the recipients of God's favor. Someone blesses us. And Jesus is saying that God the Father will bless these kinds of people with the good life, with life in the kingdom. But it's really important to note that the world has completely different categories, doesn't it? Who does this world regard as blessed? The rich, the happy, the healthy, the educated, the married, those with children, those with great cars, with lovely weed-free gardens, those with lovely houses, 
the beautiful, the powerful. You can keep on filling in the blanks. The world has lots of categories for blessed. Jesus has completely different set of characters. The kingdom of heaven that Jesus brings turns the world's values on its head. And he starts here with number one. Now, can I also say, as we preface into this, I've jumped over an entire point. So why don't I actually go back and actually... Isn't that funny? I just jumped over an entire point. I wonder if I can edit this when I get it on the disc. Anyway. But before we talk about the sermon, let's talk about the sermon generally. I want to make four points. I want to make four points. Number one is what Jesus is talking about as he talks in the Sermon on the Mount is not the entry criteria. It's not do this and you will get in. Why do I say that? If you've got your Bibles open, hope you do, turn to chapter 4 in Matthew's Gospel, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Matthew records. The kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the fact that he's declaring. What is the response that he's calling for? Anyone? Repent. He said, this is how, this is what's come, the kingdom. How do you get in? Repent. He's told them how to get in. And the disciples, we assume, have done that. And so when you get to the start of the Sermon on the Mount, we read this at the end of verse 1. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Jesus is teaching those who are already in what it looks like to live in the kingdom. He's not teaching those on the outside how to get into the kingdom. He's already told them, the kingdom's come near, repent, repent. In other points, he might say, repent and believe. They're really two sides of the same coin. But here Jesus is talking about the characteristics, not the criteria for entry. Number two, okay, it is not for some, it is for all. Sometimes you find in Christian circles, you look at something like the Sermon on the Mount and you kind of go, that's for the super Christians, okay? That's for the leaders, that's for the professional Christians who get paid to do the whole Christian thing. That's for the people who are really hardcore. I'm a garden variety Christian, this isn't for me, it is for you. There's none of those divisions in the Christian faith. There's none of those divisions in the kingdom of God. This is for everyone for all time. Point three. What Jesus is talking about here is nothing natural. I have to warn my kids. I'm going to let something secrets out. It's not really that scandalous, so don't worry, kids. Um, one of our children, our first... She was a feral baby. She was, you're like, you know kids like this. They are just like on steroids, like, like never stopped, just action all over the place, okay? And then another one of our children came along, and he, you can work out which one that was, he was just chill. We kind of didn't know what had happened. We thought all children were like number one, and we got to number two, we're kind of like, how's that... <coughs> It's all character. It's just inbuilt nature. And if you know Hannah and Daniel, 
beautiful kids, love them to bits. Uh, they're different. Jesus is not talking about, in the Beatitudes or in the Sermon on the Mount, natural dispositions. When he talks about meekness, he's not just talking about those people who are a bit more relaxed and easygoing. He's talking about characteristics that are abnormal and impossible for general people to do. He's talking about something that is completely unnatural, that is humanly impossible. It is an act of grace. Through his spirit, it is not natural temperament. We need to get that in here because Jesus is not talking, this is point four, he's not talking about just a, a section that we're just a little bit different from everyone else. He's actually saying, this is a kingdom and I am a king. You are either in the kingdom of, heaven, of the heavens and Jesus is king or you're in the kingdoms of the world and they are two completely different categories. And we need to get that straight. So now we can move on to actually wrestle with, as I began to wrestle with you, uh, with how it is that Jesus speaks of the character of those who are in. He's not telling them how to get in. He's telling them when you're in, this is what it looks like when you're in. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Guarantee that if you went out and polled our community and said who are blessed, they would not come up with poor in spirit. But then we're thinking, okay, Jesus puts this as number one. No coincidence. The Beatitudes build on each other and you can see links between them. But Jesus is saying this is the most foundational thing because, as he says, these people, theirs is the kingdom of heaven or another way of understanding this could be that actually the kingdom of heaven is made up of these people. So if you find anyone in the kingdom of heaven, they will be poor in spirit. So what does that mean? Let me give you an illustration that might explain it. For those of us who've sat job interviews, do you remember that really... I don't know if they are. I haven't, sat at, you know, haven't heard this question for a long time. That nasty, nasty question where they say, well, Mr Munro, what, what characteristics, what assets, what strengths would you bring to our organisation? You know this kind of question. And you've got to find something that doesn't sound like you're really arrogant and full of yourself, but something that's attractive. And so you try and find it, you know... It's like with your shortcomings. Um, I tend to overachieve and I work too hard. They're my big drawbacks. I know it's really difficult. I give too much. Um, you know, you've got to find your strengths and work out ways of phrasing that. The poor in spirit person being interviewed by Jesus for a position in the kingdom of heaven. So what do you bring? Nothing. Absolutely Nothing. I bring liabilities, not assets. We sung about it in Rock of Ages, didn't we? Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Naked, come to you for dress. Helpless, look to you for grace. Stained by sin, to you I fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. That's what we sang. We sang poverty in spirit, beautifully encaptured in those words. What do you bring? 
nothing but liabilities. The poor in spirit, they ditch what the world thinks, where the world says it's be self-assured, be self-reliant, be self-confident. I've got it. I believe in myself. Jesus says, no. Those who are in the kingdom of heaven are those that recognize that they have nothing to bring. That is why the call to enter is to repent. You can't be filled unless you are first emptied. And Jesus promises us that it is these people, these people who are blessed by God, it's these people who make up the kingdom. He goes on. Blessed are those who mourn. Now I said, didn't I? There's a link between these. So what's the link between poverty in spirit and mourning? You should be able to see. These people recognize because all the Beatitudes apply to all of those who are in the kingdom. It's not that, look, I'm poor in spirit, but you can be meek and you can be merciful and you can be a peacemaker. No, all of the Beatitudes for all of us. Okay? The one who is poor in spirit knows their sin. The one who's poor in spirit knows the sin that has disfigured this world. And they grieve that sin. They grieve the fact that Christ had to come and go to the cross to pay for that sin. They mourn it. They lament it. They lament it in themselves. They lament it in others. They lament the scars across creation. The creation groans and they grieve. They're not happy words, are they? They're not words that are normally associated with blessing. Blessed are those who mourn. But brothers and sisters, our joy, our joy comes when we realise the extent of the need that God freely answered in grace. The wonder of the beauty of the gospel, its brilliance and its light come to, come to its fullness against the blackness of our poverty and sin. And God promises that those who mourn, those who are poor, they will be comforted. He goes on. Because those who are poor in spirit, those who then mourn their sin and sin in creation and sin in others, they know that they are not accepted because of how wonderful they are. They're accepted by grace alone and that affects how they see themselves and others. So Jesus said, blessed are the meek. He's not talking about weakness here. Meek people can be incredibly powerful people. King David, he was meek. He was hiding in a cave. Saul, his enemy, who he had been told by God he would replace as king as Israel. Saul comes into the cave and his men are saying, David, kill him. This is your chance. You will be king. He'll stop hunting you. You might know the story. Do you know what David said? Far be it from me to touch the Lord's anointed. 
David, even though Saul was in his power, David did not push his claim. He trusted that God would do it in God's way, in God's time. The meek are not weak and spineless. Moses was the meekest man on earth, according to the Old Testament. Jesus was meek. They know that they have power, but it's not about them. It's not about asserting their rights. It's not about claiming what is theirs. It's not about them. It's actually about God and about others. And God's promise to the meek, to those who mourn, to those who are poor in spirit, is that God will vindicate them. They will inherit. Not that they will conquer. They will be given freely the earth. Jesus goes on. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who crave righteousness. They know their poverty. They grieve their sin. They know that they in themselves don't have a leg to stand on. And so they crave for their own relationship with God to be set right, for the world's relationship with God to be set right, for everything to be set straight. That's what righteousness is. Not just that we might be forgiven, but that everything might be restored. And those in the kingdom, they crave that. We probably don't have a time where we are truly hungry and thirsty. I don't know if you've ever done it. Has anyone ever fasted for a length of time? Like, and I say, not the fasting between breakfast and morning tea, and then the fasting between morning tea and lunch, and lunch and afternoon tea, and then afternoon tea, and that snack that you had when you come home from school, and then that snack where you have between dinner and that snack and dinner. You know, you know what I go? No. Days. You ever done it? You get this hollow hole where the thought of food, craving it, you know, when you go on that bushwalk like I did recently and it's 28 degrees in the Northern Territory and you realise you've stopped sweating and you're starting to get that headache and you've got that thirst and you're like, I... and you have a drink and then all of a sudden all your pores open up and it's just your body is, ah, oh, that's what Jesus is talking about. We want God to set things straight so much. And he promises that he will. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. The ones who know that they are in the kingdom by grace alone. The ones they know the mercy of God overflows to them. How can they not be merciful to others? Those in the kingdom are characterized by mercy. And God says, as that is, that will be evidence that at the final judgment, God's mercy will be upheld. They will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed in those who recognize their own desperate poverty and need, their own sinfulness, and they cry to God. They cry to God to be washed clean, His grace and mercy to have their heart changed. 
And as by His grace it is, the promise that God makes is that we will see Him. Corinthians now talks that the Christian sees God as though through a glass darkly. To use the old, I've forgotten what the new translation is, but we see dimly, we see vague outlines. Do you know what the promise is? For those who are pure in heart, for those who are in the kingdom, for every Christian man, woman and child, we will behold him face to face. I sat with a man once as he was coming to the end of his life. And it was like, it was like at that point, the curtains of heaven had drawn back. No one else saw anything. There was numbers of us there. And this man was just there looking through the roof. He wasn't focused on the roof. It was like he was looking beyond it. And he was just saying one word. Glory. Glory. I think he was seeing God. He was starting to see what we are promised. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Those who know, those who are in the kingdom because God has made peace with them and so they seek to live lives that make peace, that aren't riven with conflict and discord like so many of our lives. But they actively strive to be at peace with others and to create peace around them. Because that is what the Son of God himself has done. Colossians chapter 1 speaks of God making peace through the blood shed on the cross. That is the King and we are his children if we do the same. And lastly, Jesus pronounced his blessing on those who are persecuted because of righteousness. They're not persecuted because they're annoying. They're not persecuted because they're unwise, offensive, rude. They're persecuted for doing the right thing, doing the thing that honors God, doing the thing that is best for living the life of the kingdom. And Jesus pronounces that these people are blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He takes us back to the start, to that first pronunciation of blessing. And he says, as everyone who is in the kingdom is poor in spirit, everyone who is in the kingdom will be persecuted because of righteousness. Jesus is saying, the world will not love you because you will not belong in the world. When your friends at school, your friends at uni, your workmates, your family turn away, scorn you, when you're passed over for the promotions because you just don't kind of go along with the way that everyone else does things, when you're not invited to the stuff at school because they know you're a Christian, when you're assaulted and beaten, because you love God more than others, more than anything. Jesus is saying, 
you're blessed. doesn't make the persecution right. Don't hear me say that. But what Jesus is saying is that as you live as subjects of the king in the kingdom, the fact that the world hates you, Jesus says, it hated me first. And look what it did to him. Should we expect anything different? But here he's saying this is a symptom, this is a sure sign that you belong, that when you live God's way and the world persecutes you, he's saying you're blessed. I was lovingly rebuked by one of our congregation a little while ago. I was lamenting a little about how one of my kids was copying a bit of a hard time at school for the fact that she was a Christian. So one of two. And she said, you should rejoice. Are you serious? This is my kid. But I should. Not that it makes it right. Not that I don't act to see that stop. But praise God. A sign of real faith. Jesus says, blessed. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice. Rejoice and be glad. When people curse you because you refuse to disown Christ. That's a big call, isn't it? Rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, this is blessing. It's found in the kingdom and at the hand of the king alone. So the comfort and the challenge. The challenge first. Do we look at that list that Jesus gives us, those things that characterize those who are in the kingdom, and do we, do we see them in ourselves? Do we see them in the values that we hold? Do we see it in the things that we aspire to? Do we see it in what we long for for our children? Do we see it in the way we go about our lives, the way we manage our relationships. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect, even though that is the trajectory for the Christian that will never come in this life. We strive for it knowing that at the end, when Christ our King comes, He will make all things new and we will be perfect. I'm not talking about having arrived, I'm talking about being on the journey. I'm not actually talking about perfection, but direction. When you look at your life, do you see these characteristics? Do those around you see these characteristics? And one way Jesus says, Christians will be compelling Christians should be compelling. Often we have people come in here who aren't Christians and they see something that is different and it is compelling. They want to know more. And that's the way it should be. 
That's the way it must be. The Christian life, live the way that Jesus empowers and calls us to live, should draw people to us or drive people away. When people ignore us, maybe because we're not living the way that he calls us to. Maybe this week, look at the Beatitudes. Look at those characteristics. Make them into prayers. Know that it is by God's grace. It is his spirit at work in you. It is not your striving that gets you in. You are in. But these are the characteristics of the king. Ask that he might make you more like himself. Meekness, mercy, peacemaking. Ask that God would work the radical humility that comes from poverty in spirit and grief over sin. Ask that God might give you that craving to see his righteousness. Ask that God might give you joy when you face opposition for him. But maybe this morning you go, actually, that's not me at all. I'm hearing what you're saying. I thought I was a Christian, but if that's a Christian, I'm not a Christian. Can I say it's great that you've come to that realisation and you need to talk with me or with someone that you know who is a Christian. And we would love to talk to you about what it means to repent and put your trust in the Lord Jesus. That's the challenge, but there is the comfort. There is the comfort because Jesus knows that life in the kingdom, even though it is where blessing and the good life is found, it is not the easy life. That's why he speaks to us of opposition. Sometimes we see our sin, but we lose sight of grace. And we feel the weight of condemnation sink upon us. We need to hear that each of those pronunciations, each of those blessed are, is followed by a promise. And the promise is that God can and will and will continue to give us of himself. That Jesus, our King, he promises to fill those desires, to fill us to overflowing, to give us of himself, because he is ours and we are his. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that the kingdoms of the heavens were opened through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, that he announced it and he achieved it and he invited us through faith in his death and resurrection to come to be part of what it is, Lord, that you are doing, to be part of the kingdom where blessing is found. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here. I pray for myself that we would see and know your grace in our lives. 
that we would know the power of the Spirit that convicts us of sin but directs us to grace, who takes us and makes us long for that righteousness but then satisfies that thirst as we see the victory of the cross, of the resurrection. Father, we ask that as we look at these words and the words that follow, as we see what you call us to, that you would both humble us and assure us that this is by your grace, equipped by your Spirit, that we might give you glory in all things. Father, we praise and thank you for your delight in blessing us. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.